This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Thank you for joining me. Education Next just released this past week its 14th annual survey of public opinion throughout the United States. Joining me today to discuss the poll is Education Next's Editor-in-Chief, Marty West, the William Henry Bloomberg Professor of Public Policy at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you for joining me, Marty. It's great to be with you, Paul. Well, so Marty, let me ask you this question. What's the key big finding that's emerged out of the 14th annual Education X poll? Well, we discussed several of those findings on an episode of my own podcast, uh, the Next podcast. And uh, I think you were right to zero in in that conversation on the fact that we saw amid the closures of school this May, an increase in openness among parents to online coursework, at least for high school students. That was one of the changes that jumped out. But across the board, I think the more interesting finding was, at least so far, we haven't seen dramatic shifts in the nature of American public opinion on education policy questions. Uh, during this crisis, and yeah, one of the one of the basic rules of, po of politics uh, that political scientists have put forth for a long time is that public opinion doesn't change. That pretty much people develop a point of view, and they're pretty consistent in holding to that view over a long period of time. Now, individuals may change their minds, but the the segments of the population are pretty consistent over time, and. Don't you think that's pretty much validated by our uh, results this year? Yeah, I think that's right, that uh, you rarely see big changes in public opinion. When you do, though, you see them changing in response to dramatic national or worldwide events. And arguably, we are in a uh, pretty dramatic uh, event right now. Uh, and so I still think it's striking to see that stability that political scientists have documented uh, endure even at this time. So, I mean, I think uh, some of the more interesting results in the survey this year come out of uh, some new questions that we asked that reveal a new cleavage or, uh, I guess, factor shaping Americans' thinking on education policy. Yeah, I think you're referring and to the populist questions that we put in. One of the things that we did this time for the very first time, I wish we'd done this before, but we just thought of it. And uh, we asked a series of questions, uh, six of them. I'll just, uh, to give uh, the audience a flavor, I'll just mention three of them. Uh, elected officials should always follow the will of the people. We sort of thought that's, that captures what populists want. They want the people to govern. And also we asked whether the people, not elected officials, should make our most important policy decisions. That's a populist uh, perspective, we think. And we asked whether they would rather be represented by an ordinary citizen than by an experienced elected official. Now, I find this amazing. People say they would rather be represented by an ordinary citizen than by an experienced elected officials. And, and, and what's really amazing is that to all of these questions, all six of them, we get substantial majorities saying yes. So yeah, we should that, Marty. Well, uh, you've argued that populism is a strain in the American political tradition that 
goes all the way back to the revolution when you had uh, the colonists throwing tea in the Boston Harbor, tearing down statues of King George. Uh, and populist sentiment is something that political scientists have said has increased in recent uh, years in the United States and abroad. And certainly our results would be consistent with that. Yeah, I got As criticized for saying that we were born a populist country. We didn't put that into the final version of the article because it, the point was made that only one statue of King George had been torn down. Well, there was only one statue of King George. The only other one was in Montreal and that got torn down too. But I guess that doesn't count as it was in Canada. But, but, but it is the case that his portrait was turned to the wall or, or destroyed in many parts of the United States at the time of the revolution. And we should give our postdoctoral fellow at the Program on Education Policy and Governance, Danny Shaquille, credit for uh, bringing forward the idea that we should include this set of questions on populism in this year's survey. You're right, we found uh, strong majorities giving affirmative responses that they agreed with the types of statements that you just read, but some people were much more enthusiastic about those statements than others. And what this allowed us to do was to identify the most populist contingents uh, of the American public. And I sort of expected that we'd be able to do that. I think my own expectations though, were that that would reliably identify Republican supporters of President Trump and that we would just be replicating divisions of opinion that we see on education policy topics along party lines. That's not what we found. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. I, I too thought that, okay, so populism in today's climate is gonna be just another word for conservatism. So we'll find almost identical percentages uh, uh, saying they're conservative and thinking they're and, and calling themselves populist. But no, you can be a conservative and not a populist. And you can be a liberal and you can be a populist. And so really these are cross-cutting cleavages. They do overlap a bit. I'm not gonna deny the fact that Republicans and conservatives are more likely to be populist than Democrats and liberals. But there's a lot of people who, uh, it's, it's, it's just a coral, it's a fairly weak correlation. It's not a very strong relationship. So populism is sort of a cross-cutting cleavage in American society. Yeah, and then when we divide respondents into quartiles, uh, the most populist and the least populist, we then see some pretty striking differences in how those two groups respond to questions about education policy. And that starts with how favorably they evaluate public schools, both in their own local community and in the nation. So the most populist Americans, only 50% of them give their local schools an A or a B grade. 61% of the least populist do. Uh, when you ask about the nation's public schools, 23% of the most populist give an A or a B grade, 35% of the least populist. So almost 50% more. Uh, giving so that it is true that response. even populists like their local schools better than the national schools. Everybody likes their local schools better than national schools. But it is also the case that the populists are less supportive of their local schools and are people who don't buy into the populist idea. 
Yeah, that's correct. And they are also perhaps consistent with that, much more supportive of proposals to expand parental choice. So we ask about school choice policies in four different ways. We ask about charter schools, about tax credit funded scholarships for low-income students, and about both universal and means-tested voucher programs. And on each of those items, we see strikingly higher levels of support for expanding parental choice among the most populous Americans. So to give just one example on the charter school item, 54% of the most populous say they favor charter schools. The creation of them, just 33% of the least populous do. And you see similar differences like that across, across the board. What do you think explains that, Paul? Well, I think it's actually uh, suspicion of elites. I mean, that's really what populism is. It's suspicion of, of elites. And that's what these questions are, are picking up. And uh, people who are suspicious of elites feel like the elites are in control of our educational system. Or that's one way of interpreting this finding. And therefore, it, it's interesting that homeschooling gets more support from the populace than from, from others. So, if, if so, people are more willing to say, you know, families should take charge of their children's education and therefore they should have more choice. If they don't have the money, they should be able to get a voucher to go to a private school. Uh, and indeed, even universal vouchers win the support of the populace. So, uh, and also the other thing uh, is Common Core gets more support from the non populace and the populace, which if you think of Common Core as something that the elites in our society have devised, and that's the way it was interpreted in the political debates over the Common Core, well, the populists don't like that. They think that they should be defining how their child should be educated, not some elected official or some distant uh, policymaker. Yeah, I think the items uh, related to the Common Core are actually quite revealing. You said that populists are less supportive of the Common Core, that's strictly speaking not quite right. We actually found the exact same level of support for Common Core, at least the way we asked the question, among the most populous and the least populous respondents at 42%. Where we see a big difference, though, is in expressed opposition to the Common Core. So there's uh, a much larger share of the most populous, 47%, say that they oppose Common Core. The least populous, that's only 32%. So that means the most populous uh, Americans are more likely to have an opinion on the issue. The reason I think that's revealing is that when we ask that same question, we ask about support for Common Core, but we don't use the words Common Core. We ask for uh, ask about support for standards that are the same across the states, and note that they'll be used to hold schools to hold schools accountable for their performance. We see actually higher levels of support among the most populous Americans, 61% versus 46%. So it seems to me that the most populous Americans, they're in favor of efforts to hold schools accountable, but they're not in favor, uh, or they're more likely to oppose, to be suspicious of the Common Core, which as you say, came to be perceived as a elite-driven attempt to do just that. There was one other thing about the populace that's worth mentioning, and that is they're more likely to have an opinion than the non-populace. The people who don't express, uh, they sort of say, well, the elected officials should take charge of things. We don't think the people are better than the elected officials. They seem to act that way. They say, oh, on lots of questions, they say, well, I don't, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. I don't disagree. I don't just, you know, I neither agree nor disagree. And so, they're, they're actually saying, uh, 
you know, I don't need to take a position on every issue out there. Populists do need to take it. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why you're seeing higher levels of opposition to the Common Core in the case of uh, the populace. Um, so, Marty, what else is there out there? How about the college? Uh, this is your area of expertise, university policy. Uh, what do you see on the higher education front that's noteworthy? Well, we asked about free college, uh, specifically whether respondents support or oppose making all public four-year colleges in the United States free to attend. And we found a slight majority of 55% in favor of that proposal, 35% opposed. This is striking to some extent, given just how new that idea is to American politics and the debate over education policy. Um, you see quite a large partisan divide on that issue, as you might expect, 74% of Democrats and just 29% of Republicans supporting it. One other issue we asked about in the domain of higher education was whether respondents supported allowing undocumented immigrants to be eligible for in-state college tuition rates. And this was an item where we found a closer divide in the public as a whole, 46% in favor, 41% opposed. But again, a big partisan split, 66% of Democrats, just 22% of Republicans in favor of that proposal. So, uh, you know, we don't have as large a battery of questions on higher education as we do on K-12 education, but uh, we seem to see some big party splits on uh, views in that domain that are worth tracking going forward. The uh, other thing I'd say is that we have uh, asked Americans to grade their institutions of higher education in their state and nationwide, uh, just as we do asking them to grade their local and national public schools. And we still find that institutions of higher education receive considerably more favorable ratings overall from the public. Uh, so despite the growing concern about the state of American higher education, I think our data suggests that those institutions still operate from a position of strength in terms of just the general support and assessment of the public as a whole. I think that's you know that's consistent with our overall message for all of the news media attention to changes that are occurring in higher education and certainly some things are going on out there. The fundamentals are still there. There's still fundamentally a belief that uh, I would like my children to go to college if at all possible. Uh, this idea that somehow colleges no longer are contributing to our society. Uh, is, is really uh, greatly overblown in, uh, in some circles. So the other side, you mentioned the partisanship, and, and the one thing that struck me particularly was the rising partisanship over charters, but not over vouchers. That if you look at the minority community, Hispanic Americans and African Americans, they, it, they seem to be supportive of vouchers, especially low-income vouchers. And, and uh, are vouchers likely to make a comeback the, now that the, the attention is being, the political opposition is being mounted against charters? Does that give an opening to vouchers? 
Yeah, I'm not sure that I agree that the uh, issue of charter schooling has become more partisan. That's actually a divide that we've seen over the past several years. Uh, it, pretty consistently, you have 15 to 20 percentage point difference in support between Democrats and Republicans on charter schools. But uh, in terms of what is likely to have the most traction in the domain of school choice going forward, I would actually look at neither charters nor vouchers, but at the other form of school choice that we ask about, tax credit funded scholarships for uh, low income students to attend private schools. That's where, as in past years, we see the highest levels of support. So 57% of the general public. And it is bipartisan. It's, it's, it's definitely bipartisan in the case of uh, tax credits. Uh, it, it, and it's, it's sort of, uh, it gets a, a, a quite substantial majorities from both political parties. Uh, so, so yes, that's probably uh, the way in which we're going to see the uh, the choice movement move in the future. Well, thank you, Marty. I think we've covered a lot of the uh, topics uh, between your podcast on ed the Education Next podcast, which I encourage all of our listeners to uh, attend to to get a further perspective on how the poll uh, developed this year. And, uh, and then I think with the topics that we discussed here, populism, higher education, and so forth, we've, we've fleshed out the poll pretty much as a whole. And so thank you very much for joining me today on the Education Exchange. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks, Paul. This is Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. We release our podcast on the Education Next website every Monday at noon Eastern time.